Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. We're going to be there in a little bit, but to uh, set that up, let me just say this. You know that the word angel, it really means messenger, literally. So anytime you bring a message, you're being angelic. And you're never being more angelic than when you're bringing the message about God's goodness expressed to this broken world in the person of Jesus Christ. What we just celebrated in communion is the heart, the very heart of all that God has been working and planning and doing in our world since before the beginning of time, that God would become a man and that he would suffer and die on a cross, that he would pay for our sins, our wrongs, our brokenness, for everything that's wrong in this world with humanity, and that if anyone would place their faith Just trust Jesus. Just trust Jesus. He'll get you through this, and he'll bring you home. (laughs) Jesus is the answer. He's the solution that everybody's heart is longing for. And when you carry that message, you are being angelic. That message is so important that the Apostle Paul, he's writing this little letter to... um, to the Christians in the city of Colossae. And so we call it the letter to the Colossians. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he um, basically spends, the, the thrust of the letter is the supremacy, the centrality of Jesus Christ, that, that this whole thing is about Jesus. And as he comes to the end of that letter, he comes to Colossians chapter 4, and he talks with them specifically about about. Uh, being messengers of it, and he says this, Colossians chapter 4, I'm just going to read from verses 2 through 6. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Isn't that something the Apostle Paul's concerned about saying it clearly? Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. The guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he's struggling to figure out how to say stuff. Anyway, I'm thinking if he struggles, I struggle. So it's kind of nice that we're in that boat together. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. He says, be wise. In the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So here Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Would you say that with me real quick? Let's just say it out loud. Make the most of every opportunity. Isn't that something about opportunities? Opportunities, they don't come all the time. That's what makes it an opportunity. If they happened all the time, it's not an opportunity. Opportunities tend to just happen once in a while. And the other thing about opportunities is 
You can't redo them. When an opportunity passes, it expires. You've lost the opportunity. And so Paul says, hey, make the most of every opportunity. And not just opportunity to do any old thing, but it's the opportunity to represent Christ. The opportunity to stand in that moment, that divinely appointed moment, and here you are, just regular Joe, regular Jane, and you get the opportunity to represent this message of hope that God has for the world. Make the most of every opportunity, he says. And Paul gives us right here four little quick things that, that, that help you and help me to make the most of every opportunity that sets us up. Because here's the thing about opportunities. The, making the most of every opportunity is more about preparing for the opportunity. The more prepared I am for the opportunity, the more I'm able to make the most of every opportunity. And so Paul gives us four little tidbits here. The first one is pray. You see how he starts that? He says, pray. Pray for opportunities. Pray being watchful and thankful. Pray for me. I don't know what the connection is, but there is a definite connection between praying for opportunities and having opportunities. Maybe it's that when I pray for opportunities, I'm more aware of them. Maybe that's what it is. But I know that it gives a great challenge to you and me. Have you considered this? Starting off every morning and making this a part of your daily prayer. Jesus, give me an opportunity today to represent you. I would challenge you to make that your daily prayer. You'll be shocked at how often you're given opportunities to do just that. So Paul says pray. Start with prayer. Second one he says is pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. That's interesting to me that Paul's concerned about how, how do I say this? And, and I think I identify with that because I, I worry about that too sometimes, don't you? Like, I want to make sure I say this right. I don't want to blow it. And so I want to make sure that I say it clearly. That's a concern on my mind. And Paul says, pray that I would proclaim it clearly as I should. And so we pray for him to do it. He prays for us to do it. Here's, here's what the thing about opportunities. Every one of them is different. So... You can't just memorize a little spiel about Jesus and then just say that little spiel all the time because every opportunity is slightly different. The message is always the same. Don't get me wrong there. Jesus is the hero always. It's always pointing to him. But, you know, the situations are always different. Sometimes I have 30 seconds. Sometimes I have 30 minutes. Sometimes we're having coffee. Sometimes we're in the frozen food aisle at Big Y. You know, it's like the opportunities are varied. And here's what I found. The more you practice, the better you get at it. So proclaim it often. Practice, practice, practice. The more you do it, the smoother it becomes, the better you get at it. Paul says, proclaim it clearly as I should. The third thing Paul says is, be wise, he says. Verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. You know, every one of us knows somebody who says that the reason why they're not a Christian is because something Christians are doing. Because they got turned off by church people somewhere, somehow. You know people like that. And none of us wants to be that person that is somebody else's excuse. True? And so Paul says, hey, 
make the most, be wise. Be wise in the way you act. Well, why? Because if I'm out in my front yard screaming at my kids, that's not a great testimony to my neighbors. Be wise in the way you act to your outsiders. He says, because, because if my boss has to practically beg me to give him or her an honest eight hours of work a day, that's not a good testimony. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, he says. Because the way that you act actually becomes the platform for the message that you bring. Speaking of the message that we bring, that's the fourth thing he says. Let your conversation be always full of grace. You see that? So it's not just how I walk, it's also how I talk. Friends, there's no reason why you as a child of God should curse. There's just no circumstance where that's appropriate. Your mouth is a holy mouth. It belongs to Jesus. Your mouth represents Christ. So what you say represents him. Let your conversation be full of grace. The same thing applies to complaining, griping, gossip, backbiting, sarcasm, any use of my mouth. Because it's a part of my testimony. It's a part of what sets up opportunities. And if I can't go from griping about politics to sharing about Jesus in the same conversation. Therefore, one of those has to be deleted from my conversation. Why? Because I don't want anything to detract from Jesus, who he is, the message of Christ, the gift that he's given. Does this make sense? So here, right away, Paul, boom, four quick little tidbits. How you make the most of every opportunity. Pray for it, practice, be wise in the way you talk, be wise in the way you act. Now this morning, we're going to zero in and focus on number two, proclaiming it clearly as I should. How do I proclaim it clearly as I should? So one of the things that we read in this week in our Rooted books is, it was really good, talking about your story. Probably the most powerful thing that you have in proclaiming it clearly as you should is honestly your story, your personal experience with Jesus, the way that he's impacted you. And it's beautiful. When you hear people's stories, Jesus is always, Jesus is the hero. He's the savior. But boy, all of us got there in a whole bunch of different ways, didn't we? And it's fascinating to hear that. And I think that's, that honors God. You know, because your story is going to impact somebody else that maybe my story won't impact. And so how you proclaim your story. And I love the, the fact that we got to spend time this week in our rooted groups even dealing with that. But I wanted to get us to Acts chapter 26 because this morning we want to look at the four, if I could just kind of, I feel this morning like this is kind of like a coaching session. Can I just coach you in sharing your story? Because there, there are some very uh, important elements, I guess, in how we share our story that are, are really necessary to know. Um, do you want to share it well? Yeah. Do you, do you agree with Paul? I want to be able to proclaim it clearly as I should. I want to do it clearly. I don't want to mess it up. Right? So how do we do that? There's four parts to your story that are very distinct and that you need to consider as you're 
crafting the way that you share your story. There's, here's the four key words. I'll just give the key words and then we'll dive into it. But you got before, the commitment, after, and then reaction. Everybody say those four key words with me. Before, before. commitment, after, reaction. There's, there's my life before Jesus. A little bit about what it was like. And then there's the commitment. There's that moment that I encountered Jesus. That moment that Jesus ambushed me. And where I bowed my knee and I submitted my life to the Lordship, Jesus as my Savior. And then there's after. There's the difference that that has made. What difference has Christ made in my life? And then there's the reaction. The reaction of the person who's listening to you. And sometimes it's positive, and sometimes it's negative, and sometimes it's indifferent. But how you react to their reaction is actually a very important part of what's going on in that moment. And we see all four parts of this story in Acts chapter 26. The Apostle Paul had this opportunity to give his story and we see it right here in Acts 26. So I wanted to take the rest of our time. And we're, if you got your Bibles open, we're going to look at a big chunk here, this chapter. And we'll see all four parts of it. Now, while you're looking that up, here's the quick background. Paul is in trouble, again, for sharing his faith. And so he's standing in a courtroom. He's literally in a courtroom with chains on his hands. He's, he's a prisoner. He got in trouble for talking about Jesus. And now he's standing here, and he has the opportunity, and he's standing before some really important mucky mucks. He's got Festus, who was a governor. He's got Herod Agrippa, who's a vice regent for Rome. And he's got any number of other high-powered people and lowlifes all right there in the courtroom. And Paul is given this opportunity. He's given the, given the microphone, as it were. Hey, Paul, speak in your defense. Why are you here today before this court? This is the setting. And Paul uses this opportunity to tell his story. And he starts off with this. Look at chapter 26. I'll start with verse 1. We'll read verses 1 to, 1 to 11. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way that I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they've known me for a long time, and they can testify, if they're willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced 
that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This is Paul's before. His before. A little bit about my life before Jesus. There's a couple of things to notice about it. First of all, notice that it's quick. He doesn't, doesn't take a lot of time to give you the details. You see that? If you, if you summarize, I mean, look through it. What, what do you know about Paul's life before Christ based on these verses here? I was a Jew. I was a Pharisee, which makes me a really good Jew. And I hated people that followed Jesus. And I tried to ruin their lives, give them a bad day. Basically, these are the things that you know about Paul before Christ. Do you see that? He doesn't give you the dirty details. He doesn't talk about the blood flowing in the streets, the screaming women, the crying children. He doesn't talk about his parents. You know, I had a great home. I had a bad home. My mom and dad did this. He doesn't talk about that. He just says, look, here's where I'm from. Here's the big thing about what I was. That's it. This is really important. Here's why. If you give too many details, too many details about your life before Christ, you run the risk of doing one of two things. You either bore your audience or you impress your audience. And you don't want to do either. Because remember, the hero of your story is Jesus. So if you're boring your audience, you're detracting from Jesus. And if your audience walks away super impressed with how bad you used to be, well, that, that also detracts from Jesus. Does this make sense? And so you only need to share enough about just to say, look it, I was one messed up guy. I was a broken person, and I, I had no hope. That's where I was. I was lost. You know, I love the words of amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That, that pretty much sums it up. That's, that's how we do the before. The purpose of the before is only to set up the commitment. You're setting up the encounter. And that's what Paul does. You see how Paul brilliantly, actually, just brilliantly sets up his encounter with Christ. And then he flows right into it. He says, you know what? I was a... I was, I was hell-bent on persecuting Christians. That's what I was all about, man. And I, I was so much so, I was going from city after city after city to kill Christians, and that sets up the encounter. Verse 12, on one of these journeys, see how he does it? Smooth, Paul, smooth. On one of these journeys, he says, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, 
Why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow, Paul had quite an encounter, didn't he? A couple of things about this you got to notice. So Paul, the first thing we got to see is this. Let me just point this out. Jesus found Paul. Paul didn't find Jesus. This is very important. I, it's, it's doctrinally important. It's like foundationally important. You don't find Jesus. He finds you. Remember a couple of weeks ago, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, Boache, and I, we were teaching through Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul, was, uh, Paul kept making the point about how dead we were. You were dead. Remember? We kind of had some fun with it. You're dead. Exactly. Dead people don't seek God. Dead people have nothing to do in the process. And spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, friends, this is very important. You and I were dead before Christ came along. So you really had nothing to do with the encounter that you had with Christ. Even you say, yeah, but I spent years seeking God. Yes, who prompted the search? I would argue that God prompted the search and that you were simply responding to his wooings and to his drawings. Maybe it took you years, but you were simply responding to the God of the universe who had your number, and he's calling you up day in and day out, drawing you to himself over the years. That's what you were doing. Friends, in everything, you and I are responders. We are responders and recipients. We are not initiators. That's just how God created it. And so here's Paul. He's on his road to kill more Christians, and Jesus ambushes him. And the same can be said for you and me. At some point in your life, Jesus ambushed you. And you responded. And Paul responded. Paul said, you notice what Paul said? Who are you, Lord? He confessed that Jesus is Lord. He, he acknowledged the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's what happened. It wasn't that Paul was a good guy and became a better guy. No, Paul was a, a dead guy on his way to kill other dead guys. And Jesus stepped in. And then Paul bowed his knee and said, You are Lord. I'm giving you everything I've got. Friends, when you're sharing your story, there's one thing that you need to really make clear. Okay? You want to make it clear that Jesus is the one who made the difference. It's not that you were a good person and then somehow you became a better person. That's religion. 
That's not at all the message of the gospel. It's, it's not that you were basically a nice guy and, you know, then Jesus came along and made you a better guy. Jesus is not about self-improvement. You've been called to self-denial. That's the message of Scripture. I was dead until Jesus came along and saved me. So look at, if this morning, let me say this carefully, at the very least, you might be able to say, I don't remember the moment that I gave my life to Jesus. You, that's legitimate. Perhaps you don't remember that moment. Or you can say, I never did. But you can't say, I was just always a Christian. And then somehow I started going to this church, and now I'm a, great, now I'm a better Christian. That's wrong. So can you hear my heart? I'm just trying to clear something, because that little message there, it gets said a lot, and it's, and it's inaccurate. It's not biblical, and we're not doing a service to our friends. You're not serving your friend very well. If the message that they get is, you were a good person, and you started going to church, and now you're a better person, like that's not helping them at all, because you've just fed into the lie of our culture that says that everybody's the same, everything's beautiful, you're all good people, and you just happen to be one of these church people that has, you know, read a few books, and now you're a little bit better husband, better wife, better whatever. That's, that's not the message of the gospel. And so it's very important that I say, look at, I reached this point in my life where I recognized um, without Christ, I'm hopeless. And, and I want to give you this opportunity, friend, today to make it right. If you're one of those folks that you've been saying, you know, I, uh, I can't remember the moment that I gave my life to Jesus, then why not make today a day to, to put it in the memory books? Why not? It's not to discount what happened before, but let's just put that issue to rest. Or maybe you would say, you know, I don't think I ever have accepted Jesus as my Savior. Oh, then, friends, let's make today that day. Let's not leave this place until that issue gets settled in your life. Would you, like Saul, bow your knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord? And apart from you, Jesus, I have a hopeless eternity in hell. But with you, I can be made right with God, I can be made right, and I can have the hope of forever in heaven. So Paul says, this is the encounter, this is the, this is the money moment, if you will, when Jesus Christ steps into his life. But then Paul says, you know, Jesus has made a profound difference in my life. So now there's the after. What happens after I've given my life to Jesus. Well, he continues the story. Look at verse 19. He says, so then, King Agrippa, so then, as a result of this, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. 
Do you see that that's what Jesus told him he was, if you read the, we read the paragraph before, that's what Jesus told him you were going to do. And so Paul says, I went and did it. And then he goes on, verse 21, that is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and to great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So here's Paul's after. You see, there's three things he says that happened after his conversion. The first one is he was obedient. Right away, he goes, say, so by the way, I wasn't disobedient. Jesus told me to do this, so I did it. Friends, obedience is very much a part of what it means to be a Christian. To be a follower of Christ means I'm obeying what Christ has told me to do. If there's no obedience, in fact, if there's no obedience, you have reason to question your relationship with Jesus. And I'm not just saying that. Jesus said that. Look at what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. In 1 John, um, okay, I'm, we're having computer problems. Oh, well. In, in 1 John, this is not the time to have left my notes on the chair. Oh, there we are. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, by this, he says, we can be sure that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Do you see scripture? You understand, I'm not making this up. Scripture says that obedience is a part of your relationship with Jesus. That to call yourself a Christian means that you are seeking to obey the commands of Christ. That means that you no longer have the luxury of coming up with your own ideas about how things work in this world. That means that your, your, your life is now forever marked by the desire to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and that I do it because Jesus has said to do it. That's why I do it, period. And that, and that, you know, your friends, you know, we come down to making the most of every opportunity. Listen, your friends, I'm not, please, I hope you don't hear me saying you have to be perfect. That's not what I'm suggesting. Your friends aren't expecting you to be perfect. But friends, you do need to communicate to the world around you that you are submitted to Christ. Okay, you might, there's going to be days where you blow it, and certainly you've got your goods and your bads and your ups and your downs. We all do. But at the end of the day, I'm submitted to Christ. And the truth is, if one of my friends comes to me and says, hey, you call yourself a Christian and you do X, Y, Z, you know what? If they're right, that's not the time for me to get defensive. That's the time for me to say, you're right. You're right. Because as a follower of Christ, I want to obey Jesus. And you just called me out on something. Thank you. You're right. Is this, see? And so Paul says, part of the after, I gave my life to Jesus. I, I encountered Christ on that road. I called him my Lord, and then I started to obey him. And since that time, he also says, I found the help of God. Look at verse 22. God's helped me. Have you seen God helping you? How have you seen God's help in your life of late? See, that's a part of your testimony. That's a part of your after story. 
How have you seen God answer prayer? How have you seen God give you strength? How have you seen God provide? Where have you seen God's help in your life? Like, that's huge. You know, um, and then the, th- and the, thir- and the third one he says here is this. He says, I haven't, I'm not saying anything beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. In other words, Paul says, I'm committed to, to this. For, for the apostle Paul, Moses and the prophets, that constituted his Bible. You and I would call it the Old Testament, kind of not exactly, but for all intensive purposes. Paul didn't have, quote, the Bible. What Paul had was Moses and the prophets. And so when he says, hey, what I said to you is nothing outside of what's found in Moses and the prophets, Paul's just saying, look, I'm a man of the word. I'm just trying to obey the Bible here and give you nothing but what the Bible has to say. And friends, the same is true for you and me. You know, it's one of the things I love about, uh, about a bunch of you. I love to be able to hear, I love hearing what God is showing you, what God's teaching you, what he's doing in your life, you know? I love the, the man, I can go around the room and start naming names of, the, of, the, of the, the people in this very room who... I know that you're reading that you're reading God's word. I know that you're trying to pursue the Lord, that God's doing fresh stuff in your life, and that you've had some fresh revelation. You've seen some things. You've learned some things that you didn't know before. Like those are the things, friends, that your friends need to hear about. Because because while it's great for them to hear about the fact that you gave your life to Jesus 20 years ago, perfect. They want to know, okay, are you still friends with Jesus? So I want my friends to know, hey, just last week, Jesus and I were taking a walk, and here's what he showed me. See? It's an ongoing, it's an intimate relationship, and I'm growing in this, and your friends need to see you growing in this. See how God has helped you. See what God is showing you. See how you're obeying and maybe disobeying and repenting. They need to see that. That's how you display Jesus to the world around you. Does this make sense? Now, the fourth part's the reaction. And Paul got quite a reaction. You know, don't you wish every reaction would be they fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? That would be really great. That didn't happen for Paul. Look what happens next. Verse 20. I like this. I find comfort in this because This is how it goes down for me a lot. At this point, look at verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul. So he interrupts him mid-sentence. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. So Paul goes, I just picture this in my mind. You know, here's Paul. He's got the chains on his hands, and he's, this is a pretty intimidating moment. And Paul goes, Oh, well, I'm not insane. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm not crazy. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. Now, here's what he means. Festus was a Greek, so he grew up in a pagan Greek background and so forth. Agrippa was half-Jewish. And so Agrippa would have been familiar with some of the Jewish laws and would have been familiar with Paul's own, you know, the Moses and the prophets. 
Agrippa would have been, but Agrippa, of course, was not living it. You get that. He was a pretty wicked dude. But Agrippa would have at least known some of these things that Paul was talking about. And Paul points that out to him right here. I like that. He goes, you know, King Festus, I'm not crazy, but just ask the king, ask Agrippa. He's familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, and I, I picture Agrippa a little nervous. Do you think that in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? Agrippa's feeling the heat in the seat. <laughs> Paul replied, short time or not or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. You know, the way that you react to their reaction is a very important part of the interaction taking place in that moment. So you see what happens. Paul's in the middle of telling his story. He tells a little bit about before his life with Jesus. He talks about his encounter with Jesus. He talks about the difference that Jesus has made in his life. And then Festus interrupts him. Festus can't take it anymore. You're nuts! And he yells at him. And then Paul, how does Paul react to that? It's amazing. It's great, isn't it? Paul doesn't react with self-defensiveness. He doesn't get all snarky. Paul doesn't get angry. Paul, Paul doesn't get all righteous and throw more Bible verses at him. You notice that Paul is respectful and that Paul... Paul doesn't accept it. I mean, hey, they're wrong. I'm not crazy. You can call me crazy all you want. So he doesn't receive the craziness accusation, but he doesn't reject it, you know, in a, in a, in a judgmental or harsh, you know, um, combative way. Paul is respectful of his audience, and then he communicates his heart to them. And I love this. He says, you know, I just want you guys to know Jesus. I mean, I, I want you to know everything that I know, just except not with these chains, because I wouldn't wish these on anybody. But, but I really would like for you to know the Jesus that I know. And that's really all I want for you guys. And Paul communicates that. And that, my friend, is what you and I need to communicate at the end of the conversation. If I communicate that, I communicate, I respect you, I love you, I just, I, Jesus means the world to me, and I want you to know him in the same way. That's my heart for you. That's all. Boom. Leave that message. Done. So let's see how, let's summarize this. Let's see how this works. You got four parts to your story. You've got the before, just a little bit about your life before Jesus. And remember, not too many details, because too many details either bores them or detracts or it impresses them. And you don't want to do either, because the hero of the story is Jesus. And then there's the moment that Jesus ambushed me. There's the moment that I encountered Christ. And, and this is important. He did this work, not me. All I did was respond. That's all I did. I, I just said yes. 
smartest move I ever made. Really, quite honestly. Any amens? You agree? Second smartest move was marrying my wife. I got to put that in there. So first smartest move was saying yes to Jesus. And then there's the difference that he's made after my life. After coming to know Jesus, after encountering him, what, what is Jesus doing in my life right now? And I would encourage you to always keep something fresh. Could, could we even have some fun, like in our church body? Wouldn't it be great if we could just challenge one another often? Hey, I want to be able to walk up to you and ask you, what's God doing in your life this week? And I want you to be able to give me an answer that fast. Wouldn't that be cool? If we could do that all the time, and I don't mean that in a judgment, you hear, you hear the heart, right? Not at all. I'm just, let's have some fun with it. Why not keep each other on our toes? Isn't that what a church body's all about, partly? I mean, keeping one another on our toes? So, hey, I want to walk up to you. What's God doing for you lately? Boom, give me an answer. See, one of the things we find is we think I have to have like a 700 club worthy testimony in order for it to be good. You don't have to do that. I'm not expecting you to say, oh, I raised the dead at work this week. That's not, the, that's not what you're doing. It's just, it's just, come on, what are you praying about? You see an answer to prayer? You read a Bible verse. You thought it was cool. You heard something on the radio. You thought it was cool. That's all it is. Nothing huge. Friends, the key is this. I come back to Colossians chapter 4. Practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice. Proclaiming it clearly. Practice, practice, practice. Why? Because every opportunity is different. And sometimes I only have 30 seconds in the frozen food aisle. And sometimes you have a whole hour, you're sitting down having coffee with somebody. But regardless of the setting, the four elements of your story are pretty much all the same. They all stay in there. And part of practicing it is learning how to fit the setting. So now I got 30 seconds. Can I go through all four of those in 30 seconds? I bet you can. Bet you can. Just communicate it simply. And maybe you got 30 minutes. Okay, now you got time to flesh out a few more points. But the point is always Jesus. I never want to distract from Jesus. He's the hero. That's, he's the one I'm talking about. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.